Hey everyone, you're listening to another episode of Big Shiny Takes. I am one of your hosts, Eric Wickham. I'm joined, as always, by my two wonderful friends, uh, Jeremy Appel. Hey. And Marino Greco. You keep you keep your name out of my mouth. I mean, wait. I messed that up. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, that's right. That was way better. Run with it. <laughs> very, very sorry for having my name in my own mouth. And we're also joined by a very special guest this week. Uh, we have David Mosscrop. David, welcome to Big Shiny Takes. It's nice to finally join you. Yeah. Uh, no. Right on time, at the appointed time, and no one was late or forgot <laughs> while playing Civ Six and watching The Good Place. And uh, so we're all good. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about here. I Can I just lead off with an apology that I'm sorry that I missed the time? I'm not a prick. I'm just stupid. No. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. David Mosscrop, not a prick, but stupid. Just stupid. <laughs> I feel like you're being very harsh to yourself. Sober as a judge. I was, yeah, I have no, genuinely no excuse other than I just, I misunderstood. <laughs> You were multitasking. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, if it hadn't been for the fact that um, France pushed me out of the of Orleans, which I was trying to conquer as Jadwiga and ended my game early, this might not have ever happened. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I also blame the French. <laughs> so, so finally we have something to blame the French for. Yeah, thanks, France. <laughs> And then later, though, they may end up electing uh, fascists, so it could be a couple of problems. So yeah, I saw that, I saw that poll. Um, but isn't our boy Melancholm doing well? John Cougar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy who wrote Pink Houses. <laughs> well, I mean, this Cougar's got some pretty. If you listen to some of that, you know, eighties industrial decline, Springsteen, Mellencamp stuff. There's some pretty good criticisms of late industrial society there yeah and some sick beats yeah no i do like pink houses i think it's a beautiful song about uh um, yeah. the greatest country on the face of the earth yeah have you ever listened to authority song the the refrain is like i fight authority authority always wins like is this this great late industrial defeatist uh anthem which is like I, I, I just give up i'm done we've lost i i'm glad you did uh bring up springsteen same breath um as John Cougar, because I've always seen John Cougar Mellencamp as a low rent Bruce Springsteen. So, 100%. Yeah. That's objectively true. But like low rent Bruce Springsteen, you know, can be pretty good. It's still fill stadiums. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like, haven't explored. You know, you know what I like? I like the Jay Gales band. <laughs> I, I know, I mean, they're not really related, but. Um, I like the idea of this podcast just turning into us talking about bands we like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rather than reading like really shitty takes and newspapers well let me tell you here's i mean because here, it, it's called big shiny takes guys i mean we you know yeah it could be, it could be anything <clears throat> we are masters of our own destiny and uh, i actually think billy joel ended soviet communism i'm pretty sure uh you know he toured the soviet union in the late 80s you know people think it was reagan <laughs> but it was actually billy joel i well i i actually heard that it was the scorpions <laughs> Uh, with, uh, with, yeah, yeah. Question mark? With CIA yeah, back. winds of change. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They were they were taking Scorpions ticket sales and using it to fund the Contras. Oh, that's what Iran Contra yeah. was. 
Yeah. No spoilers. I'm just getting to that part in the Americans. Don't spoil anything. Oh shit. I want to. I just. I just hope. I hope. I just hope Reagan survives. <laughs> I saw. I, I. I'm just. I. I know. I'm off topic here, but it's just so much fun. I saw Billy Joel in concert when I was in undergrad <laughs> in Syracuse at the Orangeman Stadium. There's like forty thousand people there, and I got to tell you, it was. It was. I think is what the Greeks talk about when they talk about catharsis. You know, it was just this great cathartic thing. And Allentown is a great late industrial song. And when they toured in the Soviet Union, this is, I, I don't, I just, I don't know. I love this, but I do. They toured in the Soviet Union and the percussion guy, it's like a song and there's the sound of a train, like ching, ching, ching. And when they're touring, the percussionist made that sound by having a giant steel pole that he hit with a hammer. Like, can you beg like, this guy in Moscow playing this late industrial song? It's sort of like slightly subversive, having a guy translated into Russian, but God knows what the translation actually was. And then just this guy banging on a big steel pole with a hammer brought down the Soviet Union. <laughs> and now look at us. So I don't know. I mean, look at us now. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Billy Joel. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> Tickets were 40 bucks, though. So I don't know what you, you know. I hope all this stays in. If, if, I got to say, if any of this gets cut, I'm going to be really disappointed. I am not cutting a second of that. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the best bits will end up on the cutting room floor, but not for the listeners here. You guys are getting all the good bits. You should Fantastic. hear the shit that got cut. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we aren't here to talk about Billy Joel, but I mean, we could well, if we wanted to. Uh, we're here to we're here to talk about uh, another lyricist, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good. That's good. <laughs> he really is. He's a he's an artist with his words. Uh, yeah. Conrad Black. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real word picture. <laughs> that just screams brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. I mean, Conrad Black is probably my least favorite person to read because he's so so smug and boring and like detached from reality in that like uh arrogant rich guy way but he also like he wants you so desperately to think he's smart so he uses large words in very incorrect ways mm-hmm. and so he's so terrible in so many incredibly unique ways yeah in yeah. in much like holocaust denier david irving he uh presents himself as this historian when he's not right it's mm-hmm. he's just using his like master's degree in history as a, a, a means to claim expertise to justify his bigotry against, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, he's a Holocaust denier, just not that Holocaust. I mean, you're saying like he was using it to justify his bigotry against, and I thought you were going to like land on a single topic he's bigoted on. And it's like in this column, he's like bigoted against everything. Like he doesn't, he doesn't pick one. Right. He, he just he, lists everything he hates. He hates all races equally. He's honestly he's one of those like, guys. yeah, he's one of those awful people. But also, I mean, this is this is in my own head. I feel like certain National Post columnists try to emulate the style of uh, the Lord of Cross Harbor, Conrad Black. <laughs> Such a silly name. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I mean. We have all been burdened with Conrad's existence. So, like, why not read a column from him? I want, like, a Red Sun-type comic book 
but it's uh, <laughs> Conrad Black, and he's Comrade Black. <laughs> oh he, like, my god! <laughs> serves the Soviet Union. Yeah, the entire comic is about how he has to kill Billy Joel before that concert. Mar- wait, just wait until Marvel gets their hands on it. Someday it's going to be. <laughs> Listen, they made Morbius. They'll make yeah, anything. it's gonna be Jared Leto. <laughs> just... <clears throat> that would be good, I think. It's just my own personal. You ever you ever think that? I mean, this is maybe because I'm watching The Good Place right now, but you just sort of think that you are somehow in your own personal hell, and there's nothing you can do to escape it. I was on a plane recently, and everyone was watching House of Gucci. And you know, when you're on a plane, there's nowhere to hide, right? You just have to sit there and just just take the abuse from people around you and everyone was watching fucking house of gucci and so i just had to keep staring at jared leto doing this <laughs> this you know one of the gucci guys i don't know i don't know if he was a gucci but it, you know the one i'm talking about and just, but but because the, it was all asynchronous because people are at different parts of the movie you were just watching this play out time and time again like an infinite loop and it was just i had this moment of thinking like, you know what this is the boeing 737 max Christ, I hope they didn't fix this one. You know, I just, I'm just done. I'm just done. Just... I can't do it anymore. And, 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 and here's the segue. It's a lot like reading a Conrad Black column because here's the thing, what's, what's so awful about reading Conrad Black or Rex Murphy or whatever is that you have to sit through the awfulness of the argument and the, and the frustration of that person being so wrong. But then you have to sit through them doing it aesthetically poorly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it, you, you get it, you get it coming, you get it going and it's a special kind of awful. And that, you know, I, I, I would much rather read, but Jordan Peterson's like this too. He's also yeah. Just, you know, these, it's these funny guys. you mentioned that because your description really reminded me of the time that we watched the Peterson, Joe Rogan episode. It was like the stupidest. Just watch his videos, bro. You just got to watch these videos. <laughs> All 300 hours of him crying about the death of individualism. No, but it was, it was the stupidest thing ever. And there was no, yeah. it was like uninteresting too. I like it when Pearson cries. Yeah. It's like, saying like read Ayn Rand, you know, it's like, you got to read the fountainhead. I'm like, I would rather be crushed to death by, by a pile of them, which is to say four of them. This is all the take to crush you because it's so goddamn long. Then, then have to read even a chapter. I mean, it's just so unbelievably bad. Uh, you know, the arguments are awful, but it's written poorly. I can, there are times when I'm reading someone I disagree with and think like, oh, goddamn. This is a well-written piece, or this person is not. This person's got a little something or style, a certain flair. Like, look at William Buckley. Whatever you think of his writing, like Buckley was a guy. You're like, God damn, I kind of like this guy. I'm kind of interested by this person. But then there are people who are so loathsome, like Jordan Peterson and Conrad Black and Rex Murphy. That's just like, there's nothing redeeming about these guys. And these guys don't get edited in the slightest. I can't imagine. Yeah. Or if they do, I mean, like, I don't. Well, I mean, I wonder what kind of i mean i, I you know i here's the, I, I like editing I, I you know my my fear is that someday i'll get to a point as a writer where people will stop editing me you know and that's when you're big big trouble because you know the number one thing writers need especially white men is someone to check their bullshit like yeah. it's very important that we are very closely policed as writers <laughs> as white dudes because otherwise it gets out of control so fast <laughs> you need to get a tight heavy lid on it on us because otherwise, just forget it. Well, like I'm, I'm very glad that you brought up that like Conrad Black and Rex Murphy, especially you know, worst columnist in Canada, 2021. Yeah, the- what a great idea. Yeah, that was I got you. You guys nailed it. 
<laughs> well, I'm very glad like that that inspiration for that poll came from a tweet that you made. Yeah, because I wasn't allowed to do it for professional reasons. That <laughs> was the most fun I had last summer because summer kind of didn't really happen. So I was just mm-hmm. mean with internet polls for like several months. I I dragged that thing out as long as I possibly could. But I I guess the point I was trying to get to is these people ideologically they are repulsive human beings. But mm-hmm. on a technical level, their writing is like, it's like a crime against punditry or journalism as a whole. Yeah. Well, I'd say it's a crime against journalism. It's not a crime against punditry because punditry is itself uh, often, uh, you, more often than not, a form of uh, anti-journalist uh, animus. That's objectively true. As someone who does it all the time, let me tell you, it's truly objectively true. There was this great tweet. Did you guys see this? It's, it's circulating the internet. It's sort of like, you know, freelancer, $35,000 a year. I self-funded a trip to the a war zone to see what's happening on the ground. Columnist, $300,000 a year. China's foreign policy is like an egg roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, obviously, in, in response to Thomas Friedman's, like, this is the first world war. The, the war you <laughs> and I just, I always think that too. It's like, communists are just such fucking grifters. It's yeah. just such a, I, I'm just so stunned at the shit you see coming from them. And, and I work hard on my stuff and I try to, you know, listen to people. Most of, of the stuff that I write when it's good, it's because I've been listening to other people. And I just I look at these guys and like, oh my God, well, it's money for nothing. Mark Knopfler knew. That's true. <laughs> song, yes. by the way, has aged extraordinarily poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've been listening to some, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a music <laughs> podcast, I swear to God. But you, like, you go back and listen to some of these songs, and they just, they, they have kernels of wisdom, but they're so reactionary, and that, you know, Money for Nothing is one of them. Uh, I love uh, Steve Earle, and, you know, briefly looked like him for two years. And, uh, and, uh, but you go back and listen to some of these songs, and you're just like, holy fucking shit. He, you know, one of his songs opens with him saying, you know, I've got a 20,000 truck that's owned by me, the bank, and some funny talking guy from Iran. Oh. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, you know, it just, you see how people's brains got poisoned, and we ended up with these columnists, mm-hmm. right? A lot of columnists sort of operate on the no thoughts, just vibes thing. And they just kind of like write the thing that they think is going to get as many clicks and as many people upset, you know, just trying to own the libs or whatever their weird goal is that day. But I'm glad that you brought up that you are a columnist because I wanted to thank you personally for making Doug Ford cry and <laughs> That press conference after that piece in the Washington Post. Oh, God, I just know, like you know, it's funny. I rage wrote that piece in about thirty minutes from my couch, and the on a Friday night, and the most of the time was dedicated to just finding supporting links for all the shit. It was about like here's all the shit that I know he's done. Now I just got to find a link so people can click through to read about it. And uh, and then like I thought, oh, I just wrote my obituary. You know, I've, I've peaked. That's it. But I get to keep my job. So that's good. But, you know, it's, that was so fascinating because the the other leaders then got asked, you know, should Doug Ford resign? They asked Del Duca, they asked Horvath, and they seemed like sort of like caught off guard because they didn't really expect that to come. They're like, yeah, well, of course you should resign because some fucking guy at his couch in Ottawa said so. You know, I'm like, I just want to think like, please tell me you guys have thought about this before. 
before right now. <laughs> You're like, please tell me that at some point you had to, like you did the mental math and you went through the you know, like the bed mass of, of solving this problem. It was like, she was like, yeah, of course you should resign. It's like, because this no news cycle should emerge and no leader should be saying things because I had a beer and rage wrote a piece on a Friday night before I went and played Divinity Original Sin. You know, like this is not how the media space should work, guys. <laughs> I was right, by the way. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not right because I was definitely right, but I'm saying, you know. Yeah, and for the folks at home that have no idea what we're talking about, uh, David wrote a piece uh, around this time last year, actually, in the Washington Post saying that Doug Ford should resign. It was a really, really well-written, but it was also very, very widely spread across the internet. And so, like, it hit the news cycle here the week that, <laughs> that you published that, a... Uh, the National Post ended up writing five or six columns about Doug Ford and what he needs to do to turn the ship around. And it, like the impact that column had, not to make you feel weird about your writing. No, that's what it's supposed to do, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just cool when it happens, you know? It is cool when it happens. And, and it went to number one on the Post site. And I had this moment thinking like, well, like, why? You know, where does that come from? And I think part of it comes from the fact that uh, you know, American readers are obviously sort of interested because you don't go to number one that site if you don't get American readers, but Canadian readers were clicking on it, right? And I kept thinking of Lenin, as one does when you're thinking of Doug Ford. I started thinking about Lenin, and it was like the power was just lying there in the street. The, the call for him to resign was just sitting there. It was like someone was going to pick that up because everyone was so frustrated and so pissed mm. off because not only had he been a clown for a few years already pre-pandemic, uh, then the pandemic hits. He mismanages, he keeps flip-flopping. And then I wrote it right after that disastrous press conference when the lockdowns happened. And they're like, you can't go to parks. You know, there was, <laughs> we're going to put police tape around the merry-go-round. And, and people just started losing. They're like, so what, what is, what is happening? What are the rules? What are we doing? And we're going to have police surveillance on the streets. And it's so like, the fuck we are, you know? And, and I think the public pushback and pressure really conditioned the degree to which that lockdown was applied in the way that it was applied. And even the cops sort of said, now we're not going to do that. Like when, when you've got the cops saying, no, bro, it's too much, <laughs> you, know, you know, you've just designed a really shitty policy and it was. And so this is one of those moments where actually I think there was the, the public did push back and actually get a little something done. I mean, the guy might very well still win again, but the, I had this moment of thinking, yeah, there is, there is still some popular control of what happens even with, you know, this clown and the premier's scene in, in Toronto. So it was a moment where I thought maybe writers can do some good, but you've got to, you know, I don't know, you've got to pay attention. You've got to think I, whenever I think of, of a lot of columnists, especially the older white guys that, are, that have been there for years, I always think like, when was the last time you made a phone call to someone to, you know, like interview them or talk to them about something. When was the last time you read a report? When was the last time you you followed a bunch of people, wherever it might be in the news on Twitter or whatever, you know, horse and buggy, uh, you know, and and challenge yourself because they've said something that made you think something that uh, ran up against your orthodoxy. For me, that happens all the time. I'm constantly trying to push against my own orthodoxy. Mm. And I'm constantly reading things. I'm making calls to people to ask about this or that. Uh, sometimes it changed my mind. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's less subtle. But I get the sense that these guys often are just checked out. And it makes me think of Brian Eno. You know, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm literally going to name every single English language singer, songwriter, musician in the world by the time we're done here tonight. 
uh, Brian, you know, like years ago was on Colbert or something. He was like, you know, I knew it was time to quit Roxy Music when we were doing a gig and I was thinking about my laundry. <laughs> and I just like, was, I sometimes read some of these columns and they were like, you were just thinking about your laundry while you were doing that. It, that's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there there. Yeah. You're just rewriting the same shit over and over and over again. Yeah, cynically too, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you Usually. got someone like a... Uh... Rex Murphy, who probably does believe what he's saying on a certain oh, level. Oh, I think so. <laughs> but, like, the way that he'll go after Greta Thunberg time and time and time again, it's just like, all you're just, you, you're playing your cards. Well, because like, these people, you're doing. these people can only win arguments against children, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, there's actually... By bullying them. By bullying them, no less. <laughs> It's like Ben Shapiro, right? Like he, you know, Steven Crowder or whoever, like they can own people on like college campuses, like because they'll pick out some undergrad with like blue hair who has doesn't have a quite like fully formulated worldview yet and just shout right wing talking points at them. But then he, you know, Shapiro goes on uh the uh Andrew Neil uh show in in the uk and i mean andrew neil fucking sucks too but he just asked him like a basic question about his position on abortion how he can defend it and he just uh throws a complete hissy fit mm-hmm. and um you know and i i mean when does conrad black like no one likes him but when is he ever like challenged in the public square like probably when he was on trial for fraud <laughs> but I, I mean since then since he's come back to this country I mean, he's just kind of sort of able to exist and like is apparently entitled to column space that is publicly subsidized. Mm-hmm. I just I have this idea that, you know, if, if Conrad Black were ever challenged in the day by someone like um, I'm mean, like Harold <laughs> Johnson or or uh, Tanya Talaga or folks like that, he would just crumble to dust like the baddie at the end of last crusade when he drinks out of the wrong crusade uh cup spoiler alert oh, you no. know he would just just like his hair would grow really long and he would crumble to dust in three seconds because they just you know he can't defend that shit because it's indefensible but you're right it doesn't i mean i, I you know did you ever see jordan peterson try to explain something yeah <laughs> it's incoherent and then he starts weeping <laughs> and here you know he's got this real kind of jimmy's swagger kind of thing going on like you know you watch a lot of these guys as jimmy swagger and, and you can you get that same kind of like faith healer vibe from them yeah and you're like oh i see this is an emotive thing and you can dress it up because you just digested the thesaurus but you can't really defend it in a, in a coherent, rational way in, in, in that is ultimately cogent. You just can't because it's such horseshit. And so you end up getting like, you got to make your bed and, you know, and clean your room. And then behind you, the room looks like someone's just been on an acid trip for three days. It's <laughs> so, okay, cool. Great. So we brought you here, uh, David, not yeah. only to, to talk, talk about talk about something, to talk, to, remember what. to talk about popular culture, but um, sure. Also, uh, to talk about this uh, liberal NDP um, socialist coup that um, Conrad Black is writing about, um, which we'll get to shortly, but this agreement between liberal and NDP, this, you know, supply and confidence um, dealie, 
what, what, what is it? Use the technical term. Yeah. <laughs> what What does it do? Like, why Why? Why is Conrad Black so freaked out by it? Well, so this is where I'm going to try to to prove to listeners that I, I'm not just here to drink this spruce tail and talk shit about Billy Joel. <laughs> Actually, I am here for a reason that has to do with the fact that I do technically have some expertise in this area, but although it certainly doesn't sound like it tonight. Uh, so these, look, the, the confidence in supply agreement or supply and confidence agreement, you can do it either way, is a parliamentary uh, instrument that's been around for a really long time. And it works like this. Uh, parliamentarians get to decide amongst themselves who the government of the day is. If you have the confidence in the House of Commons, if majority of members of parliament say, it's okay that you're doing what you're doing here, then you get to keep doing it as the government. When they decide that it's not okay anymore, the government falls and either someone else gets a shot at forming government or we go and have an election. It's actually one of the things about our system that works really well. One of the reasons we don't have things like budgets that get held up like in the US, because if you can't pass a budget, your government falls and we get another election or a new government. Like imagine in Congress, if every time the budget were, were held up, they couldn't pass, they had to go to an election. They'd pass that goddamn budget every fucking time because they don't want to go have an election. Our system has that valve and it works. So, you know, in a minority uh, parliament where the government doesn't have a majority of seats, um, they can either govern day to day, week to week, month to month with the support of whoever they can get, or they can try to uh, sign one of these confidence and supply agreements with one or more parties that says, look, for a period of time, we're going to do the following things and you're going to support us on money bills and bills of confidence to make sure that we stay in government. They stay in opposition, but what they get in return is some, they get apprised of things, they get to have some meetings, they get some of their priorities advanced or a couple of bills and the government gets to stand. And that's a supply and confidence agreement. We're going to cooperate with you on these things in exchange for that for a period of time. And that's what the NDP did. And that's to be distinguished from a coalition, which is a different thing. And that's where someone from uh, the opposition party or opposition parties go into cabinet and sit, which is what you had with Nick Clegg uh, back in the day with David Cameron before he got fucking rolled, by the way. The junior party almost always gets rolled in a coalition, uh, as Nick Clegg will tell you. Well, he's doing uh, great but that's now. not this. Yeah, and then later, you, but of course, you know, that was always going to happen, I think. Yeah, he's now uh, Facebook doing like PR for them. Which uh, didn't get it. It's a good underdog story. Yeah, Just, yeah, truly. But yeah, so the, the reason it freaks people out is because you know these smooth-brained um, assholes come out and say, <laughs> "Well, we didn't vote for that." <laughs> and the answer to that is uh, no. Literally, nobody did because you can't. It's not how it works. It's like saying I put a donkey into the beverage dispenser, but you know my cola didn't. Come out. Like, yeah, because it doesn't take donkeys; it takes quarters, man. Like try to keep up, and so uh, people get upset because they think this is a, a, a socialist coup. For one, it is a perfectly normal part of parliamentary democracy. It happened in 2017 in BC. It, you know, there was one in New Brunswick. It happened in Ontario in the 80s. It happens around the world all the time. It's very normal. You think conservatives would appreciate that because it's actually a part of our parliamentary heritage. Uh, but of course, you know, they don't when other people do it. So it's not, a, it's not a coup. It's a normal thing. And it's obviously not socialist because we don't have a socialist party in uh, parliament in this country. So it's not a socialist nor a coup. It's just a normal part of parliamentary democracy. And look, if you don't like it, uh, you have a chance to defeat this dictatorship at the ballot box when the election does come around. Because it's just one of those dictatorships that happens to fall uh, in elections when people don't like it. 
uh, it's just a bunch of rhetoric to raise money and, and, you know, fire up the base and it's a lot of horse shit, but it means that people like me have to get our, off our asses and come out and say, no, 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 it's just people are playing you and you should ignore them when they're playing you. It's, you know, it's, it's also a classic case of, or, you know, the things that opponents say about the NDP are the things that people like us say, you know, I wish, yeah. <laughs> like, I wish this part mm-hmm. you were describing were, were these sort of, like deep socialists who were here to, to change the nature of, of the marketplace. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome. Yeah, it's, it's one of those Conrad Black threatens us with a good time. Columns, <laughs> this column right? was exactly that. This column was the platonic ideal of don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just that one paragraph in particular where he's just naming the horrors of this liberal NDP coalition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to get too into the piece already, but like he's like talking about dental care and he's like, this is another dreary socialist uh, <laughs> waking nightmare that we have to deal with. Is like dental care. Are you sure? Capped at $90,000, whatever it is, <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah. or so there was, there's a 70,000 threshold, 90,000 threshold for whatever. Anyways, this is like a means tested program. That's going to be phased in over time. That presumably will also have co-pays. <laughs> like I, maybe it won't, maybe it won't, uh, but maybe yeah, ideally it won't. But you know, I, again, like this, you know, this this is a broader problem, though. There's a broader problem here in the way that we think and talk about socialism and liberalism, because people think the welfare state is socialism. And one of the things that I think it's incumbent on on anyone with a brain, but especially socialists to do, is come out and say, no, 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 no. It's not socialism when the state does things. Uh, that's capitalism and liberalism, typically, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of like, we're going to have a welfare state. It's going to be modest. We're going to prop up the market because the market fundamentally tends towards um, destruction of itself. It's, it's in, internally incoherent. It tends towards monopoly. It tends towards corruption, cronyism. We've got to come in and kind of, you know, find ways to adjust it. All these folks are going to hoard their wealth. It's screwing everyone else. So we've got to introduce a basic welfare state so people's teeth don't fall out during their shift at Starbucks. You know, this is what we got to do. And it keeps the whole apparatus out. And then people are like, that's socialism. I'm like, no, that's liberalism and capitalism. Socialism is when we're talking about the public ownership of the means of production and the sort of, you know, universal, non-means-tested, barrier-free public programming. Um, that is part of that that non-market system. If you don't have that, you don't have socialism. Like we have liberalism or, you know, and some social democracy. But, you know, it does that doesn't serve anyone's interest in the mainstream, so you don't get to talk about That's, that. You don't get to have a temper tantrum in your national post column. Every time and it works, you know, it works. Because people buy it. People think the state doing things is socialism. It's like, <sighs> I, I, this, you know, this is like one of the things that really irritates me because it also under, it undercuts you know, our ability to actually try to introduce socialism. And, and it also, by the way, results in a welfare state that you might get for a while, but then gets retrenched over time mm-hmm. whenever times get, get tough, which is always under market austerity, austerity and, and orthodoxy. And, and that's just we keep doing that over and over and over and over again. We had things that were delisted from public health care across the country. Right. We're just doing this over and over again. They wanted pharmacare. As, they talked about pharmacare as part of of healthcare back in the 40s, for God's sake. But, you know, it just, uh, it didn't happen for the, the reasons it didn't happen. So we have to keep fighting these fights over and over again. We can't. Jurors, yeah, it's very complicated. You wouldn't understand. It's in the BNA Act. You, you don't, don't even bother. It's, you're not going to. Oh it's beside the section about fish that's 40 pages long. It's just like, yeah, it, 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 it's infuriating, but it limits our horizons. It's infuriating and, and 
it, it means that everything's obfuscated and people sort of throw up their hands and say, oh, they're all throw all the bums out. They don't know what they're doing. And, it, and it's how the orthodoxy gets propped up. And it's deeply, deeply, deeply frustrating. So I, I get I get particularly pissed off about that stuff because it's one of the reasons we can't have nice things. Well, on that note, I feel like this would be the right time to jump into this Conrad Black piece. Typically, we let our guests read the column. Oh, no, I'd love to. Fantastic. I, no, I, I'd be honored. I'm just going to put on my um, French aristocrat uh, outfit on. <laughs> it's actually usually for sex, but I'll make an exception. We can <laughs> Appreciate it for this now. You're very welcome. All right, here we go. Conrad Black, the liberal NDP <laughs> conveyor belt, the socialist oblivion. I will just preface this before I start reading because I'm, I'm going to have a hard time keeping a straight face. But when I was in grade two, we were all writing a letter. In case anyone's wondering how I became the person I am, we were letting, writing letters to Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. <laughs> Remember Brian, Brian Mulroney? Yeah. And uh, the teacher said to me, your handwriting is so bad that uh, you can't write a letter to the Prime Minister because it would be embarrassing to the class. Wow. And now I have a column in the Washington Post, and she is presumably dead. I, oh, that I can relate to that. That makes my blood boil. Fuck that fucking handwriting, don't, handwriting don't Nazi bully, shit. Yeah, don't bully kids. Anyways, well, she's long dead. So, yeah. so that was just all by way of saying that I'm going to try my best here, but I'm, I'm going to give it my all. <clears throat> okay, the liberal NDP conveyor belt to socialist oblivion. The complacency of the general reaction to the announcement of the liberal new democratic agreement to maintain the government in office for another three and a half years illustrates the torpor and mediocrity of our public life and most of the people in it. That's one sentence. It is, that is four lines. Oh my God. And it doesn't even, like, it's just so clunky. Like, you could say this in, like, easily cut the amount of words in half. People aren't as mad as... I am about this NDP liberal agreement, period. That's it. In straight political terms, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau should be complimented for cementing his ability to become the sixth longest serving of the 16 people who have been elected to that office. He loves doing that, just throwing in these like uh, little factoids to show that he knows what he's talking about. Fun fact. Like, did you know that Justin Trudeau is on pace to be the sixth longest serving prime minister out of 16? <laughs> now, as I was saying, here's why we need to execute poor people. In <laughs> Just sprinkling in the factoids. Yeah. Oh, God. This arrangement secures his position until late 2025, unless he joined uh, Jean Chrétien as the only elected prime minister to be pushed out of office by his own party. Hey, buddy, ever heard of Mackenzie Bull? You old sack of shit. <laughs> yeah, you fucking idiot. Can't even get his bullshit facts right anyways. <laughs> this is a remarkable achievement for someone who is not remotely as substantial a leader in his ability, convictions, or the values of his policies of those who have, oh my God, or the value of his policies of those who have served 15 years or more in that office. William Lyon, Mackenzie King, Johnny McDonald, <laughs> Pierre Trudeau, and Wilfred Laurier. <laughs> Despite all the gratuitous disparagements of him as having qualified for his office only by surviving childbirth with a pretty face and a famous name, politics is a very challenging occupation and serving nearly 10 years as Prime Minister of Canada would be a mar- <laughs> remarkable achievement, especially for someone who lost the popular vote in his last two elections i'm sorry i just had a brief my brain i had a slight brain there for a second 
that was but, just like complete word soup. But I feel like the the important thing to take away from that list of great men that Conrad put down was that how mediocre the people who have run this country have been. Yeah, who we are. we've got a Nazi sympathizer, yep. uh, a genocider, yep. someone who tried to wipe out indigenous uh, culture, and someone else who tried to wipe out indigenous <laughs> culture. So great job, <laughs> that's, everyone. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I have that in my notes, but I had a I had genocidal drunk lawyer beside Johnny McDonald. This slander will not stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like this other oh, the other Lord. point that he makes is like it's like a dig at. The fact that Justin Trudeau benefit from his father being the prime minister and like Conrad Black is the son of an incredibly wealthy businessman (laughs) who was the son of an incredibly wealthy businessman. Yeah, but Conrad Black doesn't have any influence. Fair enough. Thank you for that, because now I've had a chance to catch my breath. The advantage of this arrangement for the liberals is that it makes Trudeau practically immune from a no-confidence vote. The NDP gains the ability to take joint credit for the dreary menu of socialistic <laughs> measures agreed uh, to by the two parties. It's always going to be like gulag imagery, you know, like it's it's rainy and it's cement. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's like need- I just like picture a guy that's got, you know, a bound volume of Solzhenitsyn but has never read it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like leather-bound yeah. books. Yeah. yeah. Like, I have all these books from the Folio Society Ugh, that I have not opened. It was so great. I, I saw mean, his I... book at the library. I forget what it was called. It might have been, like, the Canadian Manifesto or something stupid like that. But uh, not a single wrinkle in the spine of that book. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> he's written yeah, a lot was, of books. Yeah. He's a big, uh, he's a big like, uh, Nixon apologist. <laughs> Which, I mean, makes sense because their crimes are um, <laughs> similar. You got to stick a, another underdog. You won't have Conrad Black to kick around anymore. <laughs> anyway. Though all of them would have passed without disagreement, the effect of it is to ensure that the two parties monopolize power unvexed by any possibility of blundering into an election prematurely. The other three parties are sandbagged for the balance of a full parliamentary term. Most of our political media have adhered to their usual standard of insipidity. Almost no presentation of this as the cynical clinging to the furniture of government that it is and a good deal of pseudo-political scientific bunk about the virtues of Mark <laughs> multi-party <laughs> government. This guy Damn. hates democracy so much. Is he subtweeting you, David? I actually think he is. Yeah, tag yourself. Tag me, you coward! Yeah, <laughs> I'm pseudo political scientific bunk. Well, that's not true. I'm I, I used to be pseudo political scientific bunk, and now I'm um pseudo columnist bunk. <laughs> Please, my father was pseudo political scientific. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My father was a drunk. Okay, the menu of tired socialist pieties whose adoption has been agreed is this is <sighs> by the way. I just want to prepare everyone. What I'm about to read is one sentence, okay? Uh, it's very important that I'm going to take a deep... I, I used to scuba dive. I got a lung thing now. I can't, but I used to scuba dive. So I got really good at breath control for a period of time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this as best I can in one go. This is one sentence, folks. Don't try this at home. I'm a trained professional. You, <laughs> if you try this at home, you will die. Don't do this. I don't want that on my conscience. You will literally die. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> 
The menu of tired socialist pieties whose adoption has been agreed is dental care, starting with children up to 12 and families with incomes of under $90,000. A start on pharmacare with the determination of quote unquote essential medicines, quote unquote additional ongoing investments in provincial health care plans, more affordable housing, an end to federal funding for the fossil fuel industry, redoubling efforts for a net zero carbon emissions economy by 2050, a clean jobs training center, 10 paid sick leave days for federally regulated workers, rendering it illegal to call in replacement workers in lockouts in federally regulated unionized businesses. Continued funding for uh, of searches for indigenous graves, more funding for First Nations housing, the advancement of policies relating to missing and murdered indigenous women, changes to taxes on financial institutions that have, quote unquote, have made strong profits during the pandemic, a publicly accessible beneficial ownership registry and assurance that Quebec's representation in the House of Commons will remain constant. <laughs> and then he adds one more sentence, because it's got to be true to be a paragraph. Almost all of this is redundant and much <laughs> of it is undesirable. <laughs> that is the funniest way of ending a list of things that would be good. Um, <laughs> just... Holy mother of Just God. to be clear about the dental care, does it start as uh, children up to 12 yeah. families with incomes under 90,000? And then the means, like, and then it's like seniors. Yeah, it, but is I think it, it's kids, seniors, and then um, and then it goes general. But is, is, it's is it still capped at ninety thousand at the end? This is from the PM's uh, release. Launching a new dental care program for low-income Canadians would start with under twelve-year-olds in twenty twenty-two, then expand to eighteen-year-old, under eighteen-year-old seniors and persons living with a disability in twenty twenty-three. Then the full implementation by twenty twenty-five. The program would be restricted to families with an income of less than ninety thousand annually, with no copays for anyone under seventy thousand annual. So that's the the structure. So it's a means tested. Some folks get no copays. Some folks do. Right. And then other folks don't get it at all. Important question: Do you think Conrad Black wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, thinking about federally regulated workers getting ten pay sick days? Do you think that's like? A- I he like gets up and calls Howard Schultz and is like. <laughs> Howard, assemble the team. <laughs> Everybody grab your colostomy bag <laughs> out of his dick rocket and let's go. Actually, I apologize to people who use colostomy bags for, um, for uh, associating with Conrad Black. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 no, I mean, like, it's true because we saw it today at Howard Schultz, you know, it, it was out calling unions like a threat. And it was like, well, they're trying to, you know, whatever. What did he say? It was like they're, they're waging a war on businesses or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> yeah, because Starbucks is trying to unionize. And I was like, yeah, this is what I was always trying to think. It's like, oh, you want a class war? Do you know how? <laughs> but, you know, so it, it, I, I do think that that people like Conrad Black and Howard Schultz and uh, Rex Murphy and, you know, and Jordan Peterson look at modest expansions of the welfare state and basic union rights as like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. It's really disgusting when it's it's this like stark or like blatant but i mean they have no reason yeah. to hide it and i guess like part of that comes from the the idea that some conservatives carry with them that some people just deserve more than others um yeah but it, it's very laughable when it's just like on the screen like this like he just listed a bunch of things that would help other people and he's like we gotta fucking stop this now I want to like go item through item 
with him and say, okay, which of these is redundant and which of these is undesirable to you? Like, you know, again, continued funding of searches for indigenous graves. I, I, like, first of all, what's socialistic about mm -hmm. that? Nothing. You know, sorry that we're trying to properly record the genocide that this country carried out and continues to carry out against indigenous people. Like, it is abhorrent to me that it, this so flippantly dismisses is a genocide. Yeah. You know, I, I just, to me, when someone does something like that, they, they've excluded themselves from being taken seriously in the public sphere altogether. I, I, just, I just find it so abhorrent. I, I just want to spit. But I'm inside my own house. I I'd have to. Clean it's it disgusting, up. but you bring up a good point because that's what I thought when you were reading like the list of things that is just like that, which is objectively like abhorrent, and then a bunch yeah. of stuff that's like milk toast, uh, uh, like <laughs> yeah. policies that like any self-respecting country should have. Uh, it's very socialism is anything I don't like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a combination of socialism is when the government does stuff mm. that i think is more of like a liberal perspective that's always used to like own conservatives when they spend money on things mm -hmm. um and the socialism is just whatever i don't like right like yeah. it, it's it's really a marriage of these two um misunderstandings it reminds you of sort of like you know wow you know this is corporate socialism when we give businesses subsidies like that's capitalism <laughs> yeah <laughs> like if we actually these people would fucking if we had an actual free market like can you imagine they, they would all be dead in the streets yeah yeah these guys wouldn't survive a day in a free market with proper fair starting positions and fair rules and uh you know proper equality from the from the outset they wouldn't survive a day they're soft mm-hmm they're soft as shit and they know it and they're scared of it. We're only halfway through, by the way. Like <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, the next paragraph is like several hundred words long. And the first sentence is, uh, is another. Uh, <laughs> oh, my journey. God. I'm just looking at it right now. OK, I'm going to try before I lose my nerve. <laughs> In this sentence, there is platitudinous and somnambulant. Like this guy oh. just cannot use words properly um sorry please continue this platitudinous catalog has elicited the customary hallelujah chorus of the somnambulant canadian left including almost all of the media but the government can't determine essential medicines and reducing the role of the private sector in canadian healthcare will just aggravate the rationing of healthcare and the encouragement of medically assisted suicide Worst Leonard Cohen lyric ever. <laughs> no, but what I, I, that is fucking bananas. He's talking death panels. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what I've, what I honed in on on this is he talks about the somnambulant Canadian left, which I think we would all agree is true. Um, but then says, no, 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 you've got to exist to be somnambulant. <laughs> true but then he says it includes almost all of the media so how how is that somnambulant like yeah. if the, oh no they're not some they're super nambulant <laughs> right super nambula i you know it's funny is is i've um you know i was a sort of young i was a liberal when i was young big l liberal and you know 
I was also sort of interested in media and I was also kind of like semi-nationalist, really into the Council of Canadians and stuff. And it's so fascinating to me because now I sort of come across these people I used to think of in these sort of abstract terms. And I sort of like bump into them now in my job. And it's, it's the strangest thing. Um, I, I, I've just become honored to be a part of the Somnambulant Lab. <laughs> I just wanted to take a moment to sort of recognize and appreciate that because life's so short. You know, you never know when you're going to crumble into dust like the baddie at the end of Last Crusade. <laughs> you know, I just, or, or present day Harrison Ford. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, give, give that guy a break from movies. He's going to, he keeps hurting himself. He's not a young man. I, shouldn't be doing action movies anymore. He shouldn't be doing action. It's like watching Sylvester Stallone try to run in his later movies. It's like, no, he should not be doing that. I feel like complicit in the injuring of this senior citizen. Like, I felt like it was elder abuse. Because like, these guys should not be doing this stuff. It is not safe. In Rocky 27, he's going to use an Evangelion. It's going to be <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. Do you want to jump back? Uh, yeah, give me a second. <laughs> Uh, Sly's moving castle. <laughs> this is him floating around a giant there. We should accept more private involvement in healthcare in order to focus state benefits on the disadvantage and incentivize the accreditation of more doctors. That is the moment. That is a brief moment in which he seems like a human being. <laughs> you know, like there's there's a single line in all of this where it's like, you know, where is it? This like noblesse oblige kind of thing comes through. He's got a, you know. Well, shouldn't he be supporting uh, dental care then? Because that's exactly um, what it's targeted at. Mm-hmm. Yes, he should. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And probably pharma to some degree too. Yeah, like that. That kind of like submarines his point though, because like he's trying to use these people as a vehicle to justify more private involvement in healthcare, right? Like he's just like, we're doing it for the people that I don't care if they die or not. Can't you see? I'm trying to help you. Well, his retort would be the next line in the piece. We should not use climate change as an excuse to strangle our greatest industry. <laughs> Contributing to climate change. Contributing to climate. The world, including Eastern Canada, needs our oil and gas. The search for graves at residential schools should aim to confirm any missing persons and not just fan fantastic blood libels on Canadians as genocidists. Holy... You know what, Conrad? Fuck you. You old piece of trash. That's all I got to say about that. That's just yeah. He is one of the biggest anti-indigenous bigots in Canada. Uh, Fuck. Well, let me just read the next line because that falls. Oh boy, the best road to reconciliation with the indigenous. Ah, <laughs> uh, the indigenous. They love me. <laughs> I'm very popular with the indigenous. Oh my god! Like I, I'm sorry. I don't know who edited this, but find another job, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's Carson Jerema. He's the new uh, editor of the. Well, he's not that new anymore, but he's the editor of the uh, National Post comment page. Listener, if you think this is trash and um want to bully someone online, um, you should do so to Carson Jerema. He's a very. Soft I, I just back. like. The best road to reconciliation with the indigenous is to tear up the existing statutes, ignore most of the royal commissions, and work out with the most plausible and reputable First Nation leaders. Oh, my God. A generous and practical new policy. I'm sorry, like the most plausible and reputable First Nation leaders? 
in what world is that a sentence that's okay to publish in a newspaper, let alone your own like rambling blog on 4chan? (laughs) (laughs) It's so racist. That is fucking. God, I just got to keep going because if not, the implication that there's anything wrong with quote unquote robust profits in a financial institution during a pandemic is just more socialist nonsense. So is, oh my God, so is truckling to labor unions. I I tried truckling one time. I don't judge people who do it, but it's not for me. (laughs) Uh, So it, so is truckling to I don't know what that means. So is truckling to labor unions, and in this case, the federal government will be the chief victim. If the beneficial ownership registry is an assault upon private companies, it will just drive capital out of the country in greater velocity and quantities than is already occurring. Uh, Good riddance. Yeah, don't let the door hit you. Yeah, yeah, you can join them, Conrad. Fucking go. Uh, oh, here we go. Quebec's elected parliamentary representation can remain where it is as long as it does not constrain the other other provinces, which are enjoying greater natural population growth. Oh my God! So we got like a little bit of 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 what would you is it like light replacement yeah. theory? What, what's, what's I would say it's it's like got some great replacement vibes to it for sure. Well, yeah. What is natural population growth? He's just like, oh, I, all I'm saying is the people that were already there. It's like, oh, the indigenous people? No, no, no. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, after them, but before everyone else. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's such In the middle. What a piece In the of middle. shit. With the, with the potatoes and the <laughs> Protestant Catholic violence. <laughs> so much violence. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Almost all of these goals reinforce the slow growth. Reduced investment, sluggish public sector economy that Canada has pursued under this government. Take the money from those who have earned it, give it to those who have not in exchange for their votes, and call it, quote-unquote, social justice. Almost everybody agrees with a policy of compassion towards the disadvantaged, but the decline in Canada's per capita income shows us where these policies are leading. So this is like full-on noblesse oblige. This guy has got like, he's got the Cardinal Richelieu hat. (laughs) He wants to live in Napoleon's Malmaison. I get it. <laughs> and now we're into noblesse oblige full on like 19th century Toryism. Yeah, it's I want to help you idiots by making things objectively worse. You know, I just, you know, every so often um, I, I see uh, communists. I, I, so I don't, self, I, I'm not a communist. I'm a, I'm a market socialist and sort of slightly... I, I don't identify as a communist, but every so often I see, you know, communists on the internet, friends and colleagues of mine posting sort of like uh, photos of, of uh, Russian Chinese revolutions. And there are moments like, like this, where I sort of say, um, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm not, a am not, I'm not a revolutionary socialist. I'm a democratic socialist and a market socialist. But there's a lot of folks trying real hard to make me change my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seen a lot of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that that one picture of the uh, uh, just, the landlord convention with Mao smiling in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that kind of energy. Anyway, just a quick note to the communication security establishment. I'm not, I don't. Uh, that's a joke. We're <laughs> all joking. Anyway. It's just a fooling around. I'm actually very. I'm actually very nice. I mean, I, I'm reading this book right now. That I, I was going to hold it up, but it's a podcast, so you can't see it. Oh, yeah, Anyways, hold it up, yeah. it's uh, it's called "Just Watch Us." It's a history of the uh, surveillance of by the RCMP of the women's movement during the Cold War, 
and it's quite fascinating. Um, but I, whenever, whenever people talk about Canada as a left country, I just sort of like think of the RCMP and just laugh and, until I start sobbing. <laughs> I had great news, guys. This is the last paragraph. Thank it's really long, though. Yeah, it's, it's probably a good three paragraphs just glued into one because Conrad's never been Yeah, but the good news is it's three cents. <laughs> so we get a, it's a little bit of a break. These shallow obsessions with climate change. Oh, my Lord. This has everything. It's, it's <laughs> everything. He's like that SNL skit. It's Stefan. Conrad Black's latest column has everything. Genocide apolo- apologetics. Anti-communist ramblings. <laughs> Fun, facts. Fun facts. All the stars are here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great no, but it's his, he's he's playing his greatest hits, right? Yeah. Guys, this is the most fun I've ever had while simultaneously wishing I didn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of summing up this I, podcast. Yeah. I just want you to know. <laughs> We're so glad you joined us for this. Oh God. You know, I have to behave myself day to day most of the time. And so every so but I'm actually just such a shit heel that it's kind of nice uh to be able to come on and do things like this because you know when you've got a column in like a place like the washington post and i've got a podcast with canada 2020 and i mostly try to behave myself more or less but i'm also like a dirtbag from peterborough <laughs> like a lower class dirtbag from peterborough who grew up with fuck all we kind of operate as a rage room for journalists it's very nice it's very nice um it, it's yeah this is i i consider this getting back in touch with my roots so it's actually quite nice <laughs> you know because journalists in this country i was thinking about this today a little bit are just um you know there's some very very good ones and we produce a lot of good journalism there's a lot of people i respect but by and large they're sort of really tightly wound boring establishment driven folks who are deeply uninspired who, who drive a lot of the commentary and, and takes and uh i I think we need to mess that up a little bit. We need to push back on that. So it's nice that there's space to do that. Yeah. Well, we we appreciate it when uh, someone who actually has clout within the industry comes on and, and shit posts verbally with us. So this is always a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I, you know, I'm part of me is sad. It's a, a, that we're coming to this last paragraph, but you know what, we've done it. And here comes the, the, we've, we've entered Mordor. <sighs> One does not simply read a Conrad Black. Uh, these shallow obsessions with climate change and the preoccupation with Canada's mistreatment of its indigenous... Oh, my God. The okay. preoccupation. I wonder if there's a connection. I just... Oh, my God. God. Okay, the preoccupation with the mistreatment of... Canada's mistreatment of its indigenous peoples like the absurd fixation on gender issues are the hallmarks of this government's mistaken ambitions. This anti-parliamentary liberal, literally it's parliamentary, this (laughs) anti-parliamentary, literally parliamentary, liberal NDP arrangement uh, should achieve Trudeau's tactical goal of diminishing the vote of the NDP. If the conservatives elect another leader indistinguishable from the liberals and afraid of uh, or incapable of enunciating a moderate conservative program. What the fuck was the tool? <laughs> Out of fear of the customary quadrennial liberal smear of harsh inhumanity extremism and a sellout to the avarice of capitalism, we will revert to the one and a half party system that enabled the liberals to rule for 52 of the 63 years between Robert Borden and Brian Mulroney, 1921 to 1984. You know what, Conrad? I don't want that either. Yes. 
We agree, man. <laughs> we have found common ground. <laughs> you giant sack of dusty thesaurus. Uh, we have found common ground. I don't want that either. It's so funny. For 52 of those 63 years, he's just sitting there stewing. Just... <laughs> so what, what does he think a moderate conservative program looks like? Because If not Aaron O'Toole. Yeah. Or... I mean, obviously, it's a reference to Polly Ever, who I'm sure is like his dream candidate. Um, yeah, but <laughs> he loves the big um, stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of them. Again, not to go back to that paragraph where he lists the horrors of um, this liberal NDP arrangement, but again, a lot of these things are are moderate conservative policies, like means tested dental care. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah in like pharmacare based on like only essential medicines 10 paid sick days and a clean jobs training center was listed in that you know like what when this Sorry. when this ndp like liberal deal we've talked a lot about all this and we haven't really talked about like the response to the deal and when it happened i guess there was this initial like oh crap like i'm on the left they're teaming up with the thing but I've gone on an interesting journey with the parties in this in this country. At first, I used to care like the strategic voting. I used to get mad over always letting the liberals win, the liberals and the conservatives. But the NDP are kind of the same as the liberals. It's all so incremental that I kind of agree with this deal in the sense that it gets stuff done in this country through the system that exists and these like like fucking fixed stars that seemingly can't change. But I also want to change that system. So that's kind of where I'm at. At the whole Yes. Time. That's exactly where I'm at. And you know, you know, the way I put it was, I think we as, as socialists in this country need to kind of wrap our heads around the fact that we can pursue a two track strategy and say, like, look, we want to change the fundamental nature of this country and of liberalism and the market system. Like that's the, the goal is say, OK, we want to upend the market system. We want to upend liberalism because they're insufficient for the needs of, the, of this century and the next and the next and the next. But also say there are people who are suffering and dying right now. And every little bit that's better mm-hmm. uh, is, is a win. And the counter to that is the accelerationist point, right, which is like, no, fuck it. We just go all in on everything. And some people are going to be harmed in the meantime, but that's just the cost of doing mm. business, right? And that's the sort of, I think that's the kind of the accelerationist perspective is the revolutionary perspective a little bit at the same time. So like the French Revolution was awful and bloody, the Chinese Revolution, the Russian Revolution, but it was towards a greater end of structural change. I'm not an accelerationist. I'm with you on that. I do think the two-track is, is a good one. And that's why I'm a, of a, a democratic socialist and not a revolutionary socialist. Uh, except for when I read stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the stuff like it like it throws me so much because I I felt like the majority of criticism I saw of this this uh, NDP uh, Liberal Party blood pact to introduce means tested dental care um, was that it didn't go far <laughs> enough. There they didn't yeah, sure. get the things that they should have demanded. There was nothing about reconciliation in that original uh, agreement. And to see like Conrad Black be like, hey, um, we're going straight to the gulags. We're all going to the gulags, guys. This is, this is communism. Trudeau is Stalin. It's so beside reality that it, like, it's, I find it profoundly alienating. Um, mm-hmm. Hugely. Well, and, and this is part of the reason people like us say, like, 
you know, they're going to call you a goddamn socialist no matter what you do. So you should actually be a socialist. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's what I think with the NDP is like, they're going to call you a filthy communist, socialist, revolutionary, whether you means test the program or not, um, or whether you call yourself a socialist or not. So, you know what? Maybe you should actually just be a socialist. Uh, you know, why, why not? Because you're going to get it either way. You're not going to be able to hide from that. They're just going to assume that. So just go for it. But of yeah. course, they'd say because they're I surrounded by PMCs who, um, yes. whose entire existence is uh, parasitic, and it's just to feed these parties um, these moderate half measure policies as the only means of defeating conservatives and just dismissing um, anything outside of that as just being insane. Uh, Martin, you, you know, Martin Lukacs has a good piece on this uh, in the breach recently. Oh, yeah, he so like, You know, this and the NDP is run by consultants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the consulting class, and it's not good for them. And uh, <clears throat> I, I think he's right. I mean, I, I do think, I do think the parties become, I, I don't think, you know, anyone from the 1960s NDP, the Tommy Douglas era, even the David Lewis era, probably to some extent the Ed Broadbent era, would look at this and say that this is an NDP they recognize as being rooted in the Regina Manifesto. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a kind. Of, this is a party that won't use the word socialism. You know, I, I wanted to ask Jagmeet Singh. I didn't get the opportunity, but I wanted to ask Jagmeet Singh this question in the election: Like, are you a socialist? Why or why not? Should the party be socialist? Why mm-hmm. or why not? I asked Matthew Green. I asked Leah Gazan, two MPs I, I really quite like and respect. Yeah. And, and you know, I, uh, I wrote in Jacobin. I had an interview with them, and then they don't run from this stuff. But the mainstream of the party does. Yeah, yeah. And so. it's like all of it is aiming to win the votes of people who hate their guts entirely, right? Like it's the Alberta NDP <coughs> playbook. Um, like, Well, the Alberta yeah. NDP takes it to like a whole other level. I mean, in general, the, the NDP in Western Canada are just the liberals. Yeah. Um, federally right and uh i mean notley i I mean is i mean i saw the the u.n secretary general said um that we need to like eliminate fossil fuels by like 2030 um and meanwhile rachel notley did he say that am i getting that wrong no i think we're all gonna die if we can't figure out fossil no i think that's it hold on let me google what Spoiler, we're all going to die. I mean, I, it, you know, I mean, but this is a great reminder that the material interests of the ruling class in a jurisdiction will shape the politics of that jurisdiction, including the social democratic parties. I mean, you know, John Horgan is a resource new Democrat in British Columbia in the way that Rachel Notley is a resource new Democrat in Alberta. I mean, it's just the material interests of the ruling class that are so fundamental to those provinces shape their politics. It's and incidentally shaped. You know, it's like it's like gravity. It has an effect on the federal politics too, because Jugmeet Singh has to him and haw on pipelines. Like ah, oh, pipelines. No, we we'll review it. Or you know, like or or the defense industry too is another example of this federally. It's like no, no, we're gonna have death machines, but we're gonna make sure they're good jobs. You know, producing those death machines. With apologies to the you know Yemenis who are going to be killed by them. <laughs> it is the Marxist critique of it really just tells you that the material interests of the ruling class are going to shape that when when you've got a social democratic party because they're liberals. I mean the NDP is 
is a liberal party. The conservative is a liberal party. The liberal party is a liberal party, small L. They're all liberals for the most part. And this is why I do actually, I don't, without being reductionist, I want to change. I'd like to see Canada talk about class politics more and have a fundamental hard line between socialist politics and liberal politics. And sort of say, you know, we can't, we, we need to divide around that fundamental line. Who's a socialist and who's a liberal? Because those are your two options for us. You know? And the vast majority of, of the mainstream in Canada, including the left, are liberals. So, sorry, <laughs> Guterres said that wealthy nations need to phase out coal by 2030 and other nations doing so by 2040. Meanwhile, uh, Rachel Notley is saying that the liberal targets to like reduce um, emissions from the oil sands by uh, 42% over the next um, you know decade or whatever is a fantasy. But yeah. Which is what Jason Kenney's saying. Yeah, no, it's literally the same thing. She's just like her platform is that she's going to be more polite about it. She's, they're not going to have a war room. Um, you know, they'll they'll use oil revenue to invest in charter schools. Um, Fine. And and public schools. Oh, yes. Do both. Um, and it's really fucking bleak. Are you saying there's a third way? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Can we get through this piece? I'm ready. I'm ready to see the end of so. uh, Conrad. Well, uh, the good news is there's only five sentences left, so like 1,100 <laughs> words. Uh, if the conservatives cannot choose a leader who will stake out a socially just, high economic growth program and defend it against the entrenched bias of those in the media hurling the mud balls and brick bats the liberals produce for them, and don't bring Maxim Bernier and his People's Party back into the fold, then we will continue on our present conveyor belt to socialist oblivion. <laughs> I just, no. go, come on, man. Just retire. You've got so much money. Just go fucking golf. Just fucking go golf. Oh, my God. Who... If I wrote a sentence like that, I would walk into the sea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, you, I feel like most people will get launched out of a catapult out of the newsroom that they worked in as well, right? Like, what is a socially just high economic growth program? And what is that to Conrad Black, right? Like, is that just like, we're not going to make children work in like uh, industrial... <laughs> revolution era factories where they're getting their hands stuck in the machines is that social justice to him like what where are we i i don't want to I, far be it for me to defend conrad black but i do believe he would be opposed to that <laughs> i'd say like 50 50 tops yeah was, the world notices our decline <laughs> our weight don't. in the ukrainian the ukrainian crisis is zero Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie's claim that we have convening power is absurd. That's actually yeah, probably yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, we are I'm with you again. Hey, you threw enough shit at the wall, someone's going to stick. <laughs> uh, we are off the world's beaten track and are talking to ourselves in a socialist fantasy land. Our present is less distinguished than our past. Uh, and every day we are squandering or at best deferring the future. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the worst thing I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> and I've read Thoreau's chapter on beans. <laughs> you guys ever read Walden? There's, there's just a huge section on beans. And I remember thinking, like, I, to be a good person, I need to read all of this. <laughs> was it worth it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Well, you know what they say? Sometimes you find... You find some answers in the beans. What a journey we've taken tonight together. It, it really, it has been incredible. But like, I think 
the point that you made earlier in this this episode really sums it up is that like Conrad Black should fuck off and possibly forever. Um, yeah, I just yeah I, yeah I I truly just find his he adds nothing to the discourse. You know, I mean, I joked on Twitter that if I wanted to you know approximate Conrad Black's opinions, I'd overstuff a leather chair and, and squeeze fart noises <laughs> out of it. You know, I I just we just don't need him. And I, I find it so abhorrent uh, and, and shame on the National Post for publishing it. I, I just, it's deeply, deeply distressing. <clears throat> David, have you ever written for the National Post? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I sure did. And, and I got started, started with the Ottawa Citizen and then wrote a little bit in the National Post. Uh, I once... <laughs> Oh God! I, I somewhere in my email archive this exists. I once um, pitched an editor at the National Post a piece that said I want to call Canada's like Afghanistan military parade a Soviet May Day parade, and he wrote back and said, uh, "I think you know I can't run that." <laughs> and I will just leave it to listeners to guess who that was. But um, yeah, I wrote some of my worst stuff ever in the National Post. I, I thank them for that opportunity to to get out all the bad stuff in the early years. And then did you just stop pitching them or like, did they blacklist you? No, no, no. I, I just stopped pitching them. And, and uh, because I moved on to McLean's, I think is what happened. And I got to say, but I have to say though, I mean, I, it's funny enough, I've never had anything but a positive experience in, in the Canadian media space. Like for whatever reason, I've just never had a bad time with anybody. I've always had, you know, <laughs> perfectly good relationship with everyone i've been paid quickly everyone's been kind everyone's been receptive and i just for whatever reason i've just never had a bad time it's it's strange because <laughs> it's, like i keep sort of saying to myself like come on it is like a, you know i years ago i drove to mongolia from uh london from england and i had you know you, you visit some places when you do that trip right you know turkmenistan uzbekistan kazakhstan russia georgia mongolia yeah, i'd been to lebanon i'd been to turkey a bunch and i came home with my passport thinking like oh boy i'm gonna get some questions next time i go to the u.s like i'm going to vegas you know it's like i like that las vegas because i like playing poker i like taking money from drunks and uh i for whatever reason i really love las vegas it's just like a weird thing about me i love it and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some. Nobody ever gave a shit. I always like go through the board of thinking like, I'm sorry, did you guys even flip through this thing? You don't want to ask me anything. One time I got stopped in Chicago on my way to a conference and someone said, the, the border guy had said, why are you so many stamps from Turkey? And I said, oh, my friend lives there. He's covering the Syrian refugee crisis. He's like, cool. <laughs> it's just finger guns. Yeah. He's like, all right, <laughs> Syria, that's in the Middle East, right? All right, go ahead. And, and I just started like thinking, right, I'm a white guy who, you know, is university educated and can, you know, speak in a coded way that is accessible to other white guys that they just sort of like wave you through. Uh, you know, I'm 6'1". You know, it's true. Like you get this sense of, of, of your positionality and your privilege and you just get, a, you get away with this shit and, and you sort of throw your hands up in the air and say, this shouldn't be this easy for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it should be easier for other people. It should be harder for me. But no, right. We are fundamentally patriarchal at white supremacists so i can i can come on here i can do this stuff i can say this stuff and then go about my day and everyone's like all right great no problem come and come give our agm talks yeah you go david and i can call it out as fuck yeah. and people are sort of like ah he's still quirky <laughs> <laughs> like you just can't, you can't escape it <laughs>
this is the point of the show where we try and forget about the awful shit that we read. We read. We try and cleanse our palate with uh, recommendations of stuff that you've read or written or the content that you've contributed to in some way over the past week that like our audience might be interested in checking out. Does it have to be my stuff or, or can, I, can I boost other people's Any stuff? Any stuff oh, yeah. that you think is worth sharing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna boost some other people's stuff because you can Google me if you want, or you can just go about your day. But I'm gonna boost other people's stuff that I like. Um, I recommend Martin Lukacs's piece on the NDP being running by consultants. That one's quite good. Uh, I also recommend if you haven't, I'm reading about. Uh, I have a books column in the Globe and Mail because I'm a extraordinary, res- extraordinarily respectable gentleman, <laughs> um, and and and. So I've got the sweet deal in the best section with just the best editor, the, the arts editor at the Globe, Judith Pereira, is just like one of the best. She's absolutely fantastic. So I've got this books column and it's thematic. And so every six weeks I write on a theme and this theme is the Cold War for reasons that, that are going to be obvious to anyone who's read the news in the last couple months. So I'm reading with the Cold War. Uh, the Jakarta Method by Vincent Bevan. Oh, hell yeah. I finally <clears throat> got around to uh, finishing it. It's it, It's... Uh, extraordinarily well researched and smart and it's got a great thesis i recommend the the jakarta method by vincent bevins uh i recommend uh, martin lukacs's piece uh in the uh, in, in the breach and i recommend i'm going to get the authors i just started it so i want to make sure i get the authors just right uh it's called just watch us uh rcmp surveillance of the women's liberation movement in cold war canada by christabel sethna and steve hewitt um, I'm a couple chapters into it, and so far it's a rip roaring, uh, wild ride about uh, the RCMP and the Cold War and, and surveilling women's movement. Uh, I recommend that too, and that will make up, uh, I think, a pretty good, a good combo of things. Otherwise, I read police procedural novels. I swear to God, it's true. I'm a contradiction, <laughs> much like the marketplace, and 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 the movement of history. <laughs> um i also like like um, what's uh, what's his name michael connelly books i can't help it i can't i like michael connelly books in las vegas i'm just like i think we just need to be who we are uh, it's good to know the audience will appreciate knowing that david mousecrop is a land of contrasts uh deeply 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 and you know that's okay look you like what you like i think the key is not denying yourself the things you like it's that understanding why they might be slightly problematic and making sure that you don't replicate the structures of oppression that produced them in the first mm-hmm. place but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy a bosch book for god's sakes we're only human beings <laughs> grab a spruce dale and a harry bosch book and call it a night you know we all like trash yeah everybody is... i'm so glad you said that we're all implicated in the trash economy yeah i'd i'd like to recommend a little something called major league baseball <laughs> um that will be underway the, By the, the time he's video done. game or no, the movie with Charlie Sheen. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, but no, wild uh, thing. I've actually never seen that movie. <laughs> it's great. It's terrible. It's but about it's baseball. Great. I recommend it. Um, no, and I would also uh, recommend a piece by David Mosscrop in Jacobin. Um, oh boy. About our, uh, our uh, little fighter jet purchase uh oh, boy. On that uh is the ndp going to support it are they going to oppose it does it matter because they've just entered an agreement with the liberals where they're going to keep the government afloat i don't know find out but uh david's piece is very informative about how it's a total grift from defense contractors 
and that um we're actually buying more fighter jets from uh <laughs> from uh uh which call it Lockheed Lockheed Martin then uh Justin Trudeau ran against us buying in 2015. No. Yeah, it was 65 under Harper, it's 88 under Trudeau. Finally, fighter jets. Like a lot more. <laughs> yeah. A lot more. Like how much does a fighter jet cost too? Like one fighter jet is a lot of fucking money. Well, the program was 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 20 billion, right? I think it was I think it was it was 19 billion and it god knows it will run more than 19 billion. Like that's that's an underestimate for sure. This by the way is a program that we've been at the trough since uh, for since 1997. Like we joined the joint stripe thing in 97 to be a part of producing this whole thing. Didn't mean we had to buy them, but we always were <laughs> yeah, going to buy them. Yeah. Um of course we were. And uh, so this thing's been going on since 97, one way or the other. We, our initial contracts were in 2010 under Harper for 65 jets. And uh, the cost was obviously lower. Now it's up to 20 billion, 19 billion and 88 jets, 20 some years later, 25 years later. Uh, these dorks love buying airplanes for like some imaginary war that we would definitely lose anyways. But uh, <laughs> not to do, you know, spicy takes during the recommendations part of the episode, but <laughs> like what a waste of fucking money. It just pissed me off so much because we didn't even have a conversation about whether or not we should buy them. That just wasn't even a conversation. Yeah. It was a conversation about who we wanted to pay the money to. Like, was it going to be Saab? <laughs> was it going to be Lockheed? It wasn't going to be Boeing because Boeing's suing Bombardier and we can't do that. Can't do Quebec dirty like that. So, you know, it's going to be Lockheed. I'm just like, this country's just such a fucking joke sometimes. Yeah. Just like a complete caricature of itself. <laughs> Amazing. Marino, do you have anything you'd like to recommend to our wonderful listeners? Oh, geez. Uh, You're on the clock. The, yeah. Oh, uh, the uh, uh, web development course I've been uh, doing from you to me by cold steel it's been very good uh f1 drive to survive on netflix in terms of reading i don't know it's, it's, i've been very busy with this whole move thing i've been, I, I bought a new magic the gathering deck a black white sort of like land tax kind of deck that will ping all my friends for a little bit of damage every turn because we play like a four-person commander format and i don't want to be like too mean to anyone so this is a good way to still win but sort of like go after everyone so that's what i've been reading i've been reading magic the gathering card effects uh and yeah i actually did a little bit of reading this week um, hey every i'm just holding for applause <laughs> thank you Thank you. Uh, I read a, a little book called uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Cars by James Wilt, which was fantastic. It, it's something that I, I did a little audio editing for Passage like two years ago, and there's going to be a, like an audiobook version of that as one of their lessons. But uh, I never I never saw it surface. It's probably because you got too close to the truth. Yeah, and, I was just... Uh, Davide. Davide Mistracci shot you down. No, my editing was too powerful, and that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just like, that's why it sounds so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, read Do Androids Dream of Electric Cars. And there's also a great piece by Robert Hilton Passage. And it's called This is How Canada Helps Soften the UN's Definition of Genocide While Continuing Its Genocidal Policies Against Indigenous People. And it's just, it's a really, really good read. Um, 
pokes holes in the very, very, very tenuous liberal idea that uh, Canada is a good place where we are all wonderful people that are just super polite and like Tim Hortons. Um, so those are my recommendations. David, this was an absolute blast, and I hope you come back sometime soon because I think once we settle the lawsuits, we should do this again. <laughs> well, our Patreon is bringing in hundreds of dollars a year, so um, yeah, <laughs> we got you covered. Don't worry. Yeah, well, well, that will buy us an hour, <laughs> like Lionel Hutz. So yeah. that's all you need. Truth is an absolute defense for libel, so I'm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Plus, these days, when you get sued, you you end up with more money than you started with, uh, right. and bigger name recognition. So that's that's actually our goal is to get sued by one of these freaks, so we can first of all depose them, um, have them under oath, and deny that they're a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, just say it. Under under threat of perjury. I'm like, excuse me, sir. I've got your columns right in front of me. This is, uh... <laughs> You're gonna lie in a court of law. Tread carefully, <laughs> yeah. David. Thank you again for for being a part of Big Shiny Takes. Uh, Thanks for having me. This is an absolute blast. Uh, everybody who's listening to this will be back in a couple weeks with a bonus episode, and then we will have another regular episode in our main feed again. But until then, uh, bye. 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 It's being shiny takes the only anti-free speech podcast. Being shiny takes reading garbage for your brain. It's being shiny takes with Jeremy, Eric, and Marino. Being shiny takes are sure to entertain. Are sure to entertain.